Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of His Word. Face to face. Face to face. MJTIs, which is the Messianic Jewish Theological Institute, online short course program, open to anyone, no enrollment is required, no homework, readings, preparation, or exam. Wow, that's my kind of class. That's all right. Month-long courses. Go ahead, David. I know. So you I want just to want to say this is my <laughs> seminary where I've been taking classes since 2009. It's called MJTI. You can go to mjti.org, and I believe some of us have taken classes. Mary, you took a Panim El Panim class with Rabbi Nathan Joyner on uh, healing prayer. Two, two of them. How was that? Was that good? All right. So two, two thumbs, thumbs up, up from Mary Haller. That's what more endorsement do you need? Right. MJTI.org. You don't, and you don't have to be enrolled. You don't have to have a bachelor's. You can just go and, and learn, you know, and, and it's great. Operators are standing by. All right. This year's theme verse, it comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, 10 through 11. Let's, uh, can we pop that up there? Yeah, he had it. All right. Whoa. That's all right. I like that. Whoa. All right. He died for us so that whether we may be awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as you, in fact, are doing. Amen. Stay tuned. There'll be more next time right here. Goodbye. All right. Thank you, announcement man. All right. Baruch Hashem. Abba, uh, Father, we thank you for your goodness and your presence this morning and for all these beautiful things that are happening in our community. We pray that uh, your word would go forth to build up your community. And in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. So when I taught in Mississippi, I was part of a uh, predominantly black church for three years down there. I played on the worship team and I went to Sunday school often before church. I was a relatively new follower of Yeshua. I came to faith in Yeshua in college, and this was right after that. So it's, uh, I really grew up in the faith there, and I learned a lot. These were my, my formative years, okay? And it's part of the reason I have such fondness for the Gentile church, why I continue to seek to connect with the church of the city here in Richmond. And I pray with other ministry leaders and pastors in that room over there once a month. And I've been doing that for about four or five years regularly. Uh, this is where I was nurtured as a baby Yeshua follower, was in the, the church of the nation. So, Baruch Hashem. Uh, so one day I was in Sunday school, and the teacher uh, asked me about my calling. And I hadn't ever really thought about it. And I said, um, teaching, I guess. And uh, inside I was thinking, well, that's what I'm currently doing. And it seems that I'm pretty good at it. And I like, like doing it. So, yeah. And then she said, teaching what? And I said, uh, Spanish. 
And she pressed further, well, what about teaching the Bible? And I said, uh, never really thought about it. I mean, maybe. And inside I was thinking, well, I can't, I can't do that. I don't, I don't know the Bible, right? <laughs> How could I teach it? How, why would God call me to do that if I majored in Spanish and I like teaching Spanish and I like what I'm doing? So, but I kept the matter in mind and I guess God had the final word on that because uh, here I am. Uh, still using Spanish sometimes. Yeah, Baruch Hashem. My pastor, his name was uh, Pastor Bass, was a, a big, kind black man who always encouraged me. And uh, sometimes he would call me up to the pulpit and involve me in his illustrations. He, one time he was talking about unity, and he put his arm in mine, and we linked arms, and he, and he was like, he was walking around like this, and I was like, like whoa. Right, but he was he uh, he talked about that unity, um, and uh, he would always encourage me. One time, one Sunday, I wore my talit to to church while I was uh, playing piano, and uh, I guess some some folks were like wondering about that. But he assured the church that what I was doing was because of my Jewish identity, and that's David being David. So we we bless that. And uh, he would always say to me, he said, David. You the man. But inside, I didn't feel like the man, right? I didn't feel like even a man most of the time. I was fresh out of college. I was in way over my head in the classroom. I was trying to earn respect from my students who were, you know, 17, 18 years old, and I was 22 years old. That's why I started to grow this beard, right? And uh, I was trying to help them, you know, get into two-year and four-year colleges, which required a foreign language. And, uh, but I was, I was struggling, you know? I didn't have good time management. I didn't have good boundaries. Uh, it was my first, like, real job, right? So I wasn't used to, like, doing that. When I was in college, I, you know, could stay up a little bit late working on a term paper, right? And then, you know, go to class and then sleep, you know, take a nap after class, right? Because the, the classes are spread out in college. When you're teaching, you can't do that. You can, if you stay up a, a late working on a lesson plan, guess what? You have to teach that lesson the next day. Uh, so I was figuring all of that out. And uh, he would always say to me, David, you demand. And slowly, gradually, I started to receive this affirmation. And uh, as I mentioned, I played on the worship team, and, the, and those songs, you know, I, I loved gospel music. I still do. And uh, we would play and back up the choir. There was a big choir, and uh, we'd have practice every week. And the leader of the choir, her name is uh, Sister Hannah, she would always say to me, David, you're so faithful. I didn't understand. I would show up, I would do my best, but I didn't feel faithful. Most of the time, I felt like I wasn't doing enough, like I was behind. Basically, I was in failure mode a lot. But my church family didn't talk to me the way that I talked to me. David, you the man. David, you're so faithful. David, you have a calling to teach maybe something more than Spanish. You see, God is our Father, 
And when the Father speaks over us, he speaks blessing. He speaks encouragement. He speaks life. Yes, he does correct us or turn our head sometimes or exhort us at times, but that is love. That is love, family. You know correction can be a blessing. may not feel like a blessing, but it is. Let me tell you something. God still loves you. He is for you. He wants to bless you. He looks at you and says, Lloyd, you to man. Or he might look at you and say, you to woman, you know, if that's, if that's who you are. He affirms those parts of you that reflect him because you are made in his image. If he is worthy, we just sang all morning and prayed all morning that he is worthy, right? If he is worthy and you're made in his image, what does that mean? That means you have worth. You have value. If he is faithful, God is faithful, right? Right? Then you reflect that faithfulness in your relationships. If God is forgiving and merciful and slow to anger, then he can affirm that in you. Now, you may be thinking, yeah, I know that intellectually God loves me and is for me, but David you don't know what I've done. You're right. I don't know. I don't know what you've done, but God does. And I'm telling you, he loves you anyway. He's for you. He doesn't always like all of our choices, right? There may be some things he needs to bring us out of that aren't good for us, but that correction is a blessing. He is for you. He loves you anyway. The reason I shared about the encouragement of my church in Mississippi is this. We have the capacity to say what God says to other people. We have the capacity to say what God says to us to mirror that and do that for others. This is the prophetic gift. The apostle Shaul reminds us, he made some of us to be strong in teaching and shepherding, some of us to be strong in gospeling, some of us to be strong in managing people and systems, and some of us to be strong in the prophetic, visioning, encouraging others with what God has put in them for the future. Prophetically strong individuals are encouragers and exhorters. They see what can be, what could be. They see restoration. They see redemption. They speak and they pray and they work on it. If they bring occasional correction or exhortation, how do they do it? In relational love. You know, all of us can do this by the Ruach HaKodesh. And some of us, 
are called to operate it in, in it more profoundly, in a deeper way. And if that's you, I bless that. There are two distinct prophetic blessings in this week's Parsha that Jacob gives, which comes out and it closes a lot of stories. It closes the, 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 the Joseph story, closes the Jacob story, closes the book of Genesis as a whole, and the story of the creation and the patriarchs. That's, this is how it ends. Jacob is dying. And he gathers in Ephraim and Menashe. Who are they? They're Joseph's sons, his grandchildren. And then... In the next chapter, he blesses all the tribes, all 12 tribes, the children of Israel, which is Jacob's other name, right? Today, we're going to focus on that first blessing. This is, uh, this is what happens in Genesis 48. Then Jacob said to Joseph, El Shaddai appeared to me and lose in the land of Canaan and bless me. He said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and multiply you. Sounds familiar, right? and turn you into an assembly of peoples, and I will give this land to your seed after you as an everlasting possession. That also sounds familiar, right? The covenant with Abraham. So now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt, they are mine. Ephraim and Menashe will be mine, just like Reuben and Simeon. Who are these, who are these folks? So he's saying Ephraim and Menashe my grandchildren will be counted just like my children because of Joseph. Any descendant of yours after whom your father after them will be yours, they will be identified by the names of their brothers for their inheritance. So he's describing the tribes and that they're going to inherit the land and their land will be apportioned according to that. Now, as for me, when I came from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died along the way, that was his wife, in the land of Canaan, while we were still a distance from entering Ephra. And there I buried her, I buried her there on the way to Ephra, that is Bethlehem. Then Israel, Jacob, saw Joseph's sons and said, who are these? Interesting, right? Joseph said to his father, they're my sons, whom God has given me here. Then he said, please bring them to me so that I may bless them. Now Israel's eyes had grown heavy with old age. He could not see, so he brought them near to him, and he kissed them and hugged them. Then Israel said to Joseph, to see your face, I didn't expect. And look, God has let me see your offspring as well. And then he goes on to, there's the episode where he crosses his arms and blesses Ephraim and Menashe. But I wanted to take a look at this episode really quickly. A couple things going on here. Jacob is speaking prophetically. So what do we notice? Number one, these two grandsons uh, of Jacob's were born in Egypt. They're the first patriarchs to be born in exile. And so what, is, what does he do? He repeats the land promise, the covenant with Abraham, because they're not in the land. They're in Egypt. So he's got to remind them, okay, this is what God is doing. This is where God is taking our family. And Jacob and his descendants have to know about this plan, right? They have to know. So he's, he's sharing that. And these two sons of Jacob's were born in Egypt. And so he's pointing them not to where they, where they are or where they're from, but to their destiny, which is the land of promise. Prophetic encouragement 
looks where? Backwards or forwards? It looks forwards. It calls out the destiny of others, just like my church family in Mississippi. Second, Ephraim and Menashe are counted as sons of Jacob, even though they're technically grandsons. And uh, you see this in, uh, in the Bible and in the ancient Near East all the time. Think of the, the story of, of Ruth, right? If you've ever read the end of that, what happens? Ruth, uh, all, all the descendants, you know, all the Jewish males of the family pass away, and then God brings restoration. Uh, and Ruth is from Moab. She's not, not from Israel. And God brings her uh, a husband, and then she has a son to pass on the, the, the heritage, right? And these are, these are ancestors of both King David and Yeshua the Messiah, the Lord of all creation, right? So this is a significant thing. And, uh, and, uh, but when Naomi, that's the, the grandmother technically, she nurses the, the grandson. And, she's, and they all say a son has been born to Naomi. It's not a son, it's a grandson, but it's that restoration, that adoption that we see um, from, from, that, from the previous generation that's, that's possible, okay? So, uh, so Joseph, in some ways, he gets a double blessing, right? A double portion, right? So think about it. The birthright is a double portion. Who stole the birthright? That would be that would be Jacob, right? He stole it from his brother. And now he's giving it to his son in a way, but he's giving it to his grandchildren. Because if they have an inheritance, if they're counted as children, that's like a double portion for Joseph, isn't it? Does that make sense? Right? So why, why, is, this, why is this blessing here? It's because of, it's because of Joseph, right? Remember, what did he do? He forgave his brothers. He restored his brothers. He brought salvation. They would have starved. The entire known world would have starved. But he provided for them, and he blessed them, and he forgave them. They threw him in a pit to die, and then they lied to Jacob. But he didn't hold it against them. He blessed them. He provided for them. We just read about the end of the story. They're so scared now that, that Jacob has died right after this, right? They're, oh, our brother's going to get us back. And he's like, no, I'm not about that. Am I in the place of God? No. The God is sovereign over these things, and I, I'm, I'm here to bless you. And he spoke kindly to them. So because of Joseph's character, that's why he gets the firstborn blessing, even though he's not the firstborn. He's almost the lastborn, right? It was him and Benjamin, <laughs> right? And, uh, and so there really are 13 tribes, in a sense. There's the 11 sons of Jacob and then these two grandson tribes. If you ever notice that um, when you read the tribes are listed a lot, a lot of times one is left out, right? It's a Joseph is left out or if there's, but even if he's left out, you still have 13, Right, so sometimes Levi is left out, uh, etc. But um, there's different there's different ones that are left out, and uh, Joseph's name is left out. He doesn't get land. Ephraim gets land, 
Manasseh gets land in Deuteronomy. Where's the tribe of Joseph? It's, it's now his, his sons. And this shows us that blessing and prophetic calling is not about us. It's not about our name and our glory, but it's for others. It's for future generations. And Joseph, Joseph wasn't dismayed by that. He was like, oh, my name doesn't get passed on. There's not going to be a tribe of Joseph. You don't see him whining about that, right? Because he doesn't think that way, right? King David wants to build a temple, a house for the Lord. And his buddy says, yeah, that's a great idea. And then he comes back to, him, comes back to them the next day. And he's like, actually, the Lord kind of brought this uh, little correction here. And uh, it's not going to be you, but it's going to be your son, Solomon, that's going to build the temple. And does David go, oh, man, what a bummer. That's terrible. No. Because he sees that he sees what God is doing. He's not, it's not about him. It's about building a house, a kingdom of God. And God says, you wanted to build me a house, but I'm going to build your house, and I'm going to give you a son to sit on the throne over Israel for a little while, forever. And we know that's not Solomon, because Solomon doesn't live forever. He's going to bring a Messiah, a Messianic king, the son of David, right? And when you read the Gospels, what is the most common name for Yeshua? Son of David. Why? The first line of the New Testament, Matthew 1.1 says, this is the genealogy of Yeshua the Messiah, son of Abraham, son of David. Okay, I got a little off track there. I was, I was getting fired up here. All right, where was I? So yeah, it's not about us. It's about others, and it's about future generation. And, and folks like Joseph and David, they have that kind of heart. And so they don't, they don't mind that their children are getting the blessing, right? And I know you guys don't either, because you have that heart too. And then third, we notice this is kind of strange, right? Jacob, he asks, who are these? Right? <laughs> he was just talking about them. He's like, I'm going to bless uh, Ephraim and Menashe, and then, he, and then Joseph shows up with them, and he's like, well, who are these? <laughs> so what's going on? Well, a couple possibilities. Um, one, or A, could be that uh, Jacob's eyes were dim, right? That's what it says. So his eyesight was not good. So this question is, is, is drawing this, this idea out. And we remember that Jacob's blindness is kind of like his father's blindness, Right? like Isaac, when he stole the blessing of the father. So it's the same situation, but it's also totally different. But we're supposed to think about that. We're supposed to think about that in this episode. Number two, it could be that Jacob is using classic Jewish question rhetoric. So, who are these strapping young lads, these blessings from God, right? You know, we Jews like to ask questions, right? And this elicits a response of joy and gratitude from Joseph. What does he say? They're my sons whom God has given me here. So he gives Joseph an opportunity to cavell, right? And, 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 and thank God for his sons. Yeah, so who are these? Well, let me tell you, right? And then three, it could be that uh, the text is showing that there are limits 
to prophecy. And we need to be reminded that we don't always see things clearly. We see through a mirror dimly. Like Jacob's eyes were dim. Prophecies have a limit and will end, but love and blessing will not. This reminds us not to go up to someone and say, God told me this, or God says this. We can't do that because we, we, don't, we don't see clearly. He sees clearly. So the rest of the story is where we get the blessing that we say every Shabbat, which is traditionally, as I mentioned, done in the home by the father over the children during the Erev Shabbat dinner, but I, you notice that I do it every week for the children that are here. Then he blessed them that day, saying, In you shall Israel bless by saying, May God make you like Ephraim and like Menashe. Sounds familiar, right? If you were paying attention about 20 minutes ago, that's, that's what I said. For those of us who have children, this is the model given to us to confer blessing on our children. But what's the meaning of it? The rabbis see how these two grandsons are elevated by Jacob, as I mentioned. They are affirmed as children. And moreover, they flourish despite being born in Egypt. They're born in exile. Likewise, our children are born into a culture of materialism, selfishness, disrespect, anger, hate, lust. It's the culture of the world. That's what they're born into. And we pray and bless and proclaim that they would flourish in exile, just like Ephraim and Menashe. And also remember, the first blessing that Jacob receives is stolen from Esau. Again, notice the parallels between that blessing and the one in this week's Parsha. In both cases, the father is nearly blind, and he's blessing his descendant. In the first, Jacob impersonates his elder brother, reversing the expectation that the elder brother would receive the blessing. As befits his name, Jacob overtakes Yaakov. He overtakes his brother to obtain the blessing. Remember, he's, a, he's the trickster that we talked about a few weeks ago. By contrast, in the narrative of this week's Parsha, Jacob, now the father and grandfather of the story, crosses his hands in the blessing. He puts the younger brother first, putting his right hand on Ephraim. And when we say the blessing, may God make you as Ephraim and Menashe, he puts the younger brother first in order, right? Which is not, not how they did it. Jacob's reversing it, right? Again, the younger brother Ephraim will be set above Menashe, just like Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers, Judah and the other sons of Leah, right? You have Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and then Judah. Judah's fourth. And yet, because of the decisions of the other brothers, which you can read about in the next chapter, they lose that role. They're not fit to be that. And Judah, from the tribe of Judah, will come the Messiah. That's what it says in Genesis 49. And King David was from the tribe of Judah. And someone else that we talk a lot about a lot in here <laughs> was from the tribe of Judah and is from the tribe of Judah. 
Because in Revelation 5, it says the Lion of Judah will appear in the, in the, in the days to come. All right? So this time with Ephraim and Menashe, there's none of that overtaking going on, right? None of the trickery, none of the rivalry, none of the hatred. It's not there. It's not in the text. This is what we saw in, J- in Jacob's story, right? And in most of the stories in Genesis is this violence and anger and bitterness. Think about Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau, Joseph and his brothers. Even the, the wives can be seen this way, right? Sarah and, against Hagar, Rachel against Leah. But Ephraim and Menashe are different, right? And that's the blessing we put on our children. There's no record of their rivalry in the text. It seems to be a break from the cycle of brother against brother, pointing toward humility, harmony, preferring the other to themselves. So when we bless our children with this blessing, we're proclaiming a break in the cycle of hatred among brothers. We're declaring a vision of shalom among natural and spiritual brothers and sisters, the fullness of which comes through the prince of shalom, Yeshua the Messiah. We also see in this story the idea of the parent's blessing and how important that is. Some of us didn't have that growing up. My mom's dad, my grandfather, wasn't really around when she was growing up. He was, he was working all the time. Her mother, my grandmother, was kind of distant. She didn't really speak or show a lot of affection. But that's not true for my mom. She's a great mom. She didn't pass on the, the hurt and trauma to me. <laughs> Help me, Lord. <laughs> she, uh, I was not expecting to, to do this here. Um, <clears throat> she blessed me and she affirmed me. My dad's dad had a great sense of humor and was a lot of fun but he also had a bad temper when my dad was growing up. I've never seen my dad. (sighs) Sorry, guys. (laughs) I've never seen my dad lose his temper. He's always calm and thoughtful. You know, I've counseled folks in this community who had really traumatic experiences with parents, things that should not have happened things they did not deserve. But I've seen them treat their own children with love and compassion. I know many folks in our community who did not have loving parents who blessed them, who today are the most loving and compassionate and relational souls you'd ever want to meet, who pray and bless and forgive. How is that possible? It's because the blessing of the Father is always upon us. Because God is our Father. 
God is our loving parent. These beautiful souls have allowed their Father in heaven to, to heal them and to teach them who he is, that he's a loving Father who blesses, and so we can do the same. God is in the business of restoring hearts, conferring blessing, and being a good parent to us. And all of us have the Father's blessing. All of us are Ephraim and Menashe. You, you are God's beloved son. You are God's beloved daughter. And you have the capacity to carry the Father's blessing to your children and to your family and to your brothers and sisters in Messiah. You can be a father or a mother of blessing. And it doesn't have to be just physical children, right? You know, my parents were great. I have no complaints. But there was one thing they, they couldn't give me, and that was, you know, to be praying for me, to, to really bless me, and to be connected to God in, in, in that way. Um, and they, you know, they've prayed for me, they've blessed me, you know, occasionally, but it just, it, as, a, as a whole, they just weren't able to do that. But I have spiritual mothers and spiritual fathers that have done that for me. And I know, I know you guys do too. So it doesn't have to just be, you know, your own physical children that you bless, right? It could be a, someone in, of the same generation. You can bless a brother or sister, right? You can speak, speak blessing. There may be some, some among us that are now trying to be in the position of blessing their children, but there's some distance or some obstacle there. And I want to encourage you that you can always bless your son or daughter because God hears our prayers. He really does. Ben Juster was here last week, and uh, we, got, we got together, and he told me the story of a pastor whose daughter got into witchcraft. This is a pastor and other evil things. And he just kept praying for her regularly. And after 15 years of praying for her, she came out of it and gave her life to the Lord. Yeah. I know of testimonies of folks that are hearing my voice right now that have seen God bring their children back, back to them and back to God. And some of us in this room are still waiting, but God is faithful. He's a loving father. And think about it. As much as you love your daughter or your son or your niece or your nephew or your grandchildren, Kalvachomer, how much greater does he love them? How great is his compassion and blessing? He's personally speaking over your child right now. So what have we... <laughs> gosh. <clears throat> what have we talked about this morning? We talked about blessing, encouragement, and prophetic affirmation and exhortation. So let's sum it up. Number one, God wants to bless us and affirm us. He loves us no matter what, and we can mirror that blessing and affirming to others. Our Father in heaven is in the business of restoring and blessing. And like Yeshua, 
We can be about our Father's business, right? We can all operate in the prophetic encouragement, and some folks in our community have a profound strength in this area. This is what Paul says. He made some of them to be prophets, right? Some of them to walk in in the prophetic calling in in a more profound way. Maybe that's you. Why not pray about it? Why not process it with your rabbi? I'm here for you. Love to, love to talk to you about your strengths. Number three, prophetic blessing looks forward and draws out your calling and destiny. Number four, blessing is not about being high and mighty and great, but restoring others, especially the next generation. Think about Joseph. Think about King David. It's your children. It's your children that are going to receive that. And they weren't dismayed. Prophecy needs to be shared with humility and love and respect. When I share a sense of something uh, that maybe a scripture or a prophetic picture with, with someone, I always say, this is my sense of what God is saying, but I encourage you to pray about it and see if it resonates with your ruach, with your spirit. Number six, a, powerfully, a particularly powerful blessing is the blessing of a father or a mother and we can pass that on to the next generation, to our children and to our spiritual children. Uh, so I, I want to share with you something else. Uh, God has given me the opportunity to walk this out, the, the last one. So I'd like to ask for the opportunity before all of you, my spiritual family, Uh, if you would give me the honor of praying a father's blessing on my child, who has not appeared yet, but has been growing for the past 16 weeks. Right there. How you doing? <laughs> so, uh, I'd like to put this this sermon into action. If you'll if you'll let me do that, um, we don't know if it's a boy or a girl, but uh, I I try to speak prophetic encouragements all the time. I say, "Hey, you're doing a good job in there." <laughs> Yeah. All right. Avinu, our Father, we thank you for this child that you bring life, you create life out of the love relationship of a uh, uh, husband and wife. You bring life into this world, and I pray for a blessing on their calling and their destiny. Just as all of us have a calling, you have a unique calling and purpose for this child to flourish your good world which you created, to bring, to bring light and hope through Yeshua the Messiah, and uh, to, be, um, to be a blessing, Lord. And so we just thank you um, for, for our child, our son or our daughter, that they would walk with you all the days of their life, and they would know your love, and that you would give great grace to, to me and Sonia as parents and wisdom, because we've never done this before, so we don't know what we're doing. But you know what you're doing, Lord, because you're a good father to us. You're a good parent to us. So we ask that you'd show us how we can, in some small way, mirror your goodness and your love, your father's love. 
and in Yeshua's name we pray. Amen.